Good morning, church. My name is Gary Osborne, and I'm on staff here at Calvary. I'm so thankful to be here today. One of the things that I love that we do here is we open up God's Word and just work our way through it. I've been around Calvary for over 25 years, and I am convinced that just the continual teaching of God's Word, looking at what it says, has helped shape and form me into the man I am today. And I just hope that as you are around here, that you will see God's Word work in your life and how it helps you conform to the likeness of Jesus Christ. For those of you who haven't been around, we are working through the gospel according to Luke. And so if you have a Bible or if you want to grab one in front of you, you can open it up to Luke 10 and we'll get in there today. And what we've been learning throughout this book is that good news is for all people. That's the verse that we kind of took this from was Luke 2.10. And it says, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. So that's been our tagline as we thought about this book as we're investigating the life and the ministry of Jesus. And over the last few months, we have seen that the kingdom of God is for all people. Jew, Gentile, uh, men, women, rich, poor, young, old, sick, hurting, broken people. The good news is that Jesus came and he was the ultimate sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sins so that people can once again be in right relationship with the creator and the universe of God the Father. So remember, when we say good news, when, we're, when I say good news this morning, referring to the gospel, that is the hope that we have in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that anyone who confesses with their mouth and believes in their heart, they will be saved. That is the good news, and the good news is for hurting lost people. And that's what we see Luke's target audience is that he has this deep desire to care for the lost. And so in Luke 15, we see parables of the lost coin, the lost sheep, the lost son, and the other lost son. We also, a lot of people will believe that Luke 19.10 might be the theme verse for Luke. And it says this, Jesus came to seek and save the lost the good news is for all people, my friends. A few weeks ago, we looked at Luke 4, and Luke 4 is the announcement, the mission statement of what Jesus was all about. And it says this, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus' mission is proclaiming good news, proclaiming freedom to prisoners, to bring sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, to bring hope, to bring good news to all people. And as we open up Luke 10, we're at a crossroads at the book, because here we are as we've learned about the life and the ministry of Jesus. We've watched Jesus teach with authority care for the hurting, cast out demons. He has healed the sick, called his first disciples to follow him. He's he, we've experienced his authority over disasters, disease, demons, and death. We've marveled at his marvelous works and been encouraged by his teachings. And so that's where we've been to at this point. And then if you flip back one page to Luke 9, 51, it says this. When the days draw near for him to be taken up, he set his face to Jerusalem. See, at this point, most of the story has happened in Galilee. That's where we see Jesus primarily working. But this verse becomes the turning point in Luke where Jesus moves from Galilee and he turns towards Jerusalem where 
the cross will one day be. We are moving towards the cross, and time is running out with his disciples. We are moving from the works of Jesus to the words of Jesus, from works to words, from the miracles that Jesus performed to the messages that Jesus will speak. Jesus' time is limited, and he needs to prepare his followers for when he leaves. If you have your Bible, you will notice from this point on, if you have one of the red letter editions, if you flip forward into the next, I don't know, 13 chapters, you're going to see it is mostly the words of Christ. And at this point, Jesus is going to demand his followers to move from hearing his teachings and agreeing with it to actually doing something about it. And so this morning, we're going to talk about what does it mean to live sent. So, open your Bible to Luke 10, verse 1. It says this. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to him, said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Go your own way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. So as followers of Christ, many of the times we are trying to make our life as comfortable as possible. I know I am at times, I want to find a great church where I fit in and I find a great community. I want to find a group of people that I can call my own, where I belong, I'm loved, I'm known, I'm cared for. I want to find a place where I can serve and use my gifts. I want to kind of be comfortable. But sometimes Jesus demands more than comfort. And that's where we kind of get to here in Luke 10. And so we're at a crossroads where he's going to say, I need you now to go out and share the good news with people. He was doing most of the work now. And now in verse or in chapter 9, we saw him unleash the 12. And now here in 10, he's unleashing 72 more that were hanging out with him to go and be ambassadors for him. Now, I personally know when I sit in a room like this at times and I hear someone say, hey, I want you to go and share your faith. I get kind of all nervous and I kind of clam up and I begin to think maybe this message isn't for me. I can think about something else. But this is where Jesus is calling all of us to be. I remember being in college at one time. There was a group called Campus Crusade for Christ that's now called Crew, and they were doing a spring break trip to California, and I was so excited to go and be a part of it. But there was this little obstacle, at least how I felt, as we had to go to Fort Lewis University, and we were going to spend a day going on campus and sharing the gospel, kind of sharing the four spiritual laws and talking to people about Jesus. And then when I say that out loud... I'm kind of a little embarrassed to think I was trying to find a way out of that day of the spring break trip. But that's how I remember feeling is that I wanted to figure out, hey, do I not have to do this? Is this not part of my life? And then I think about, wait a second, Jesus is the one who changed my life, who transformed me, who gave me a new life, who helped me be a new creation. And I'm trying to not share him with others because I think that's just really how a lot of us feel at different times in our life. And I just want to say, hey, it's real. 
But, friends, we are called to go and live a life on mission. We are called to live sent. And in my world, in my life, it's a, it can be a difficult time. I have a lot of different groups that I run into. And like out on the golf course, because here's just the reality. I, I don't like to be rejected or looked down upon or not want to be part of the group. And I kind of go about and I live my life. And then like I, can, I was saying, I, was, I go out to the golf course and we play a great first six holes. And the conversation is, what do you do for a living? And I've tried to come up with really, I, I invest in people. I... Uh, but really, I say I'm a pastor, and from that moment on, the whole thing has changed. They typically stop talking to me. When I first moved into my neighborhood, I didn't really want to share, and my wife and I shared what we did, and then they kind of were outcasts for a while. I have a group of, I, my kids call them the softball dads. All my kids kind of play softball, and there's a group of us geeky dads who, you know, text each other stats and who's going to win this game and why. You know, we're a bunch of nerds. And when I first started getting to know them, it was going great. They found out what I did, and then they kind of left me out to the side for a while. And I had to, like, work my way back and prove that, like, I just really loved them, and I cared about them, and I wanted to be in relationship with them. Because I truly do want relationship with these people, and I want them ultimately to know Jesus because that's what I know is best for our life. And so that's what Jesus is saying. He's like, you're going to go and you're going to live sent in this thing. So remember, Jesus is going to use us to share the good news because he needs all type of people with all types of relationships and all type of circumstances um, to reach the people with the good news of what Jesus did for us. So back to Luke 10, I want to again give you a few things that Jesus does in these first few verses. The first one of this is he sent them out two by two. So when Jesus asks us to live sent, he asks you to live sent in relationship with others. This is critical, friends, that we are not called to do Christianity alone. We are called to be in community with one another. We're supposed to be around other believers. Now, when he says go and share two by two, for us it's not like I can't share my faith unless there's someone else with me. The two by two is a relationship. It's being in community with other people. So knowing when you're rejected or when you're persecuted, when you're looked down upon, when you're put in an outcast group, that there are others around who will encourage you and care for you and spur you on towards love and good deeds. This was also a Jewish practice at the day. It was called haver. To haver is what it was, or havering. It's been when you had a buddy or a companion or a friend, and you would walk alongside the road, and you would wrestle Scripture together. You would meet with one another. You would talk about what those Scriptures said, and you would work out its meaning and understanding together. It was That's what the relationship was, is you were to haver God's Word. You would work through life. You would encourage one another. You would spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And I know this from personal experiences. When you have a friend and you want to quit something, you are less likely to quit because they're there to make sure you keep going, no matter what it is. And so being in a relationship is critical. That's why we want everyone at Calvary to be in some type of group, whether it's a life group, a men's group, a women's Bible study, you serve on a team together, because we know the how critical it is to be known and loved and cared for. And when we go out and we're living out our faith and we're living sent, 
We need someone to encourage us when we're persecuted. We need someone to spur us on when we don't want to go on anymore. We want someone to cheer us up when we get down on ourselves. And so Jesus sends us out two by two. Jesus sends us out in relationships with one another. The second thing that I notice here in the text is he sent them out knowing that the harvest is plentiful. Yeah. We say that today, hey, the harvest is plentiful. And if you're anything like me, we think about the culture that we live in and how anti-Christian it truly is right now. I know there are many who are reluctant and resistant to have anything to do with Jesus or the teachings of the Bible. We look out, we see anger and hatred towards the church, and I'm more, but I am more convinced that people are hungry for the truth, for consistency, for an unwavering belief. Our culture is confused in so many areas that they're grasping at straws to, to have something that they can stand firmly on. Many of my unbelieving friends um, uh, who don't know anything about Jesus see the destruction and confusion around the sexual identity issue that's happening in our culture, and they're wanting answers. They have seen so many people who are hurting and dealing with pain. They see so many who are uh, dealing with financial security issues now, and there's many who are dealing with pain and heartache, and they're lonely and desperate, and they say, I want to be known so bad. I want to be in relationship. I want to have something that is bigger than me. I just don't know what it is. And so, church, I am convinced that the unbelieving world needs Jesus more than ever. And I think our community is ripe for the harvest. And I think that's what's been saying. The, 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 the workers are few, but the harvest is plentiful. So he sent them out knowing that the harvest is plentiful. plentiful. And we see this in Calvary right now. I don't know if you are aware, and we have been so excited to see the work that God has been doing. We have seen 41 people been baptized here at the Erie campus alone since May. You think about that. That's the transforming work in the lives of people. And at Boulder, they had 10 be baptized last week. And Thornton campus, they had another three. That's an exciting thing to think about, that God is at work. And I see people and friends who are desperately questioning things right now. And so, friends, I pray that we would stand in the middle and, and we would say, let me share with you about what Christ has done for me and my life. And so he sends us out two by two. He sent them out knowing the harvest is plentiful. And he sent them out commanding them to pray. Look at this next verse. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers um, into his harvest. I think that we forget this a lot, that we are called to be dependent on the Lord for all things. Not just for laborers, but for everything. We read the scripture, we read in the scriptures that we're called to be devoted to prayer, being watchful, being thankful, trusting that the Lord, we're supposed to pray without ceasing. In all things, we present our requests and our, um, our requests to the Lord. This is what we're called to do is be devoted to prayer. Because remember that it's the work of God in people's lives. It's the work of God that transforms life. It's nothing that we're doing. We're just called to obedient, to share our lives and the gospel as well. But it's what God is doing behind the scenes. We're called to obedience, to share the good news, and God is at work. Luke 10, 16 says this. The one who hears, uh, you, sorry, the one 
who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects the one who sent me. It is God's work, not our work. We're just called to be obedient and do what the Lord has called us to do. The Lord is the one who changed and transforms life. So ultimately, they're rejecting the Lord. They're not rejecting us. So prayer is critical. It's not just for laborers, but it's for God to do the work of our job is to be faithful in prayer and to be, te- be dependent on him. As we were reflecting as a staff the other day, we really felt like this has been critical in the story of Calvary Bible Church over my time here over the last 20 plus years. But when we see God move in amazing ways, it's because there was a concentrated season of prayer that was intentionally led by the congregation or by the elders or by the leadership. So some of those stories that I want to remind you about, there was a time then we felt like we were all about ourselves and we felt like we built a great fortress here at Calvary. And we said, we really want to be about the community. We want to reach out into our community. So we prayed and prayed and prayed. And said, look, lead us to ways that we can be externally focused. And over a significant amount of time, the Lord worked in our hearts as a church and we began to partner with organizations in our community like the Boulder Safe House that we did with. We worked with the, the, the food bank in Boulder. We uh, worked with affordable housing. We worked with the schools. And because of our relationship with the schools, many of you might not know this, we, we had built a thing called ShareFest and worked and cared for our schools for years and years and years. And we looked in Erie for 26, at 26 different properties. And then one day the school district called us out of the blue. They said, hey, Our softball, football, and baseball fields are going up for sale. Would you guys like first right of refusal for those property? And that is how we got this property is because of praying to say we want to be about our community. And the Lord led us to say, how do we care for our community more and more? And that's part of the story of how we got here. It's also the story of why we even came out to Erie. There was a season we said, we want to pray about what God has in store for us. And we prayed as a church. And I still can remember a video of Tom Shirk, who's our senior pastor. And he's standing on the hills uh, right uh, to the west of the high school. It's a great video. And he stands there and he says, one day, this is in 2006, all these will be homes behind me. (laughs) I mean, you go up there right now. And not are they behind him, but they're to the, you know, the north and the south, and they're coming more and more. Like, there was just the work of the Lord happening, getting us here to Erie. And then back in 2019, we said, we need to pray again. And so we prayed for 130 days as a church because we were celebrating 130 years. And the Lord said, hey, we think we're going to a third campus. And we kept praying. We thought we might be going to the Broomfield area. And we kept praying as a church. And a church came to us and said, hey, we have a building and all our assets. We would love for you to move in and start a campus here. And that's how the Thornton campus started. Like prayer is so essential, friends. And so here we are. And it says, pray earnestly. Pray earnestly, friends. Commit yourselves to pray, praying earnestly for those who don't know Christ, whether it's family members, community members, other people. Would you devote yourselves to praying for people to come to know Jesus? Because that's where the work is really done. 
So he sent them out two by two. He sent them out because the harvest was plentiful. He sent them out and he asked them, commanded them to pray um, earnestly. And then he also sent them out knowing there would be opposition and hardship. Look at what it says. I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Well, that's encouraging. I don't know if that word picture comes to your mind, what that might look like. A little bit of lambs running out in a pack of wolves. I don't know if you know the end result. And that's what Jesus is saying to his 72 followers. I'm sending you out. Good luck. Don't get eaten alive, apparently. But that is what the picture is in this point. But what really is happening, what the language is really suggesting, and you get it with the next line, it says, carry no money bag, knapsack, sandals, and greet no one on the road. It's because it's God is the provider. God is the protector. God has everything under control. He is at work behind the scenes. And so when you are going and when you are leaving a business, don't be surprised when there's opposition, friends. The enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy. But like we sang earlier, and I was looking at it, like look at the verses that we sang from earlier today. Let's see if that booth can pull them up for me again. Oh, Almighty fortress, you go before us. Nothing could stand against the power of our God. How good is that to know when we're going out and we're telling people about the love of God when we're living sent? That nothing can stand against the power of our God. He sent them out two by two. He sent them out knowing the harvest was plentiful. He sent them out commanding them to pray. He sent them out knowing there would be opposition and hardship. And then I think as you continue to go through the story, Luke 10 is basically all about the, the mission going out. And he kind of wraps in this parable that many of us are familiar with. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. And I think the Good Samaritan is a great picture of how this actually works as we live out our lives. And it says this in Luke 10, 25. And if you have a Bible, you can go back to it. But let's look at the story of the Good Samaritan here. It says this. And behold, a lawyer stood up and put to, to the test saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now the lawyer is attempting to, to test Jesus at this point. He's posing a question which he believed there was no clear answer. He was familiar with the law and was attempting to trick Jesus when he was asking the question. He wanted to embarrass him and impress the others around him impressed the crowd about his superior legal understanding. But Jesus understood his heart, and he takes the opportunity to help the lawyer see the condition of his heart. And he flips the question, asking, asking a question back to the expert of the law. And he says this. Um, he said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered him because he was well-knowledged, and he understood the scriptures, and he'd be around him. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And he said to them, you have, and Jesus said to him, and you have answered correctly, do this and you will surely live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So he's trying to figure out who, my, who his neighbor is. And Jesus answered him this way with this great parable. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and uh, departed, leaving him half dead. So if you know any, 
any little bit of thing. And as I was studying, this was a road from Jericho or from, sorry, from Jerusalem to Jericho was a well-known path and something that was used often. It had a 4,000 foot, uh, foot incline over a 17 mile journey wandering through the wilderness and the mountains. There were many caves and huge boulders that were easily to be hidden along the way. And there were no stopping points, no houses, no resting points. And so this was a desolate area where it would be easily to be attacked. And people would have understood immediately when Jesus told this story that this was not a place you would want to go. Beyond that, it wasn't a road that was used frequently in the hot summer months or the cold winter months. And so there weren't a lot of people who would pass by. And so he goes on and he tells a story like this in 31. Now by chance, a priest was coming down the road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came down, uh, came to the place he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Now, the priest and the Levite, what is being demonstrated here, and we could get into a lot of different things, is number one, these were well-educated religious men who should have known what to do in these situations. But instead, their hearts were hardened, and they walked on by. And so then Jesus kind of surprises the crowd with the irony that people would have understood in the moment that we would have a harder time understanding. It's in 33. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and he saw them, and he had compassion. Now, Samaritan and a Jew, they were at odds with one another. They didn't interact. They didn't like each other. There were many reasons why this happened, but they really avoided one another at this time. But he saw him, and he had compassion. He then went and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to the inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave him to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay uh, when I come back. So that's the story. So the Samaritan kind of does the act of love and cares for the man. And then Jesus goes, goes back and says, Which of these three do you think proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? The lawyer said, The one who showed mercy. mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise you go and do likewise i think this is a a really good uh, passage to help us understand what it looks like to be a follower of christ there are many things that we can get out of this but a few things that i just want to leave you with this morning so that we have a a good understanding the three things that i picked out of what it looks like to live a life that is sent is number one is this it really comes back to Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. If you want to live a life on mission, if you want to live sent, if you want to go and take the good news to a broken world, it starts with your relationship with the Lord. And then all that you do, it's all about loving God and loving others. And so first, like the lawyer answered Jesus, you want to love the Lord your God with all your strength, with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your soul. And it's something that the Lord does through us when we love him. He loves through us. Number two is this, is that our neighbor is anyone who is different. As I read this passage over again, that's what keeps coming to my mind. It wasn't so much that it was a Jew and Samaritan. What my, our understanding should be is someone that is different than us. Someone who thinks differently. Someone who has different beliefs, different values. 
a different economic standing. Maybe it's someone who actually likes Nebraska. I don't know. But these are the people that we are called to love and care for because they, they're different than who we are. I, am, I see it in my own heart. When someone's a little bit different or they don't think the way I do or believe what I believe, I tend to avoid them. I'm much more reserve around them. I tend not to really want to engage in those conversations. I truly believe if we want to live sent, we need to love people who are different than us. To be their neighbor, I'm going to have to love them despite our dis dis differences. And number three, living sent means to live sacrificially. That's what I see from the Good Samaritan, that he sacrificed his time, his talents, and his treasure. He was, he was willing to give him his time when he stopped. He was willing to get bloody and dirty when he was wrapping up his wounds. He was willing to pour his own oil, his own wine on the man to help clean him. He used his own animal to carry the man on this journey. He took him to an inn and he cared for them for the night. Then he gave his own money um, to, to care for him. Sacrifice. Sacrifice is needed. Sacrificing our time and our energy and our resources to care for those who don't need, know Jesus. That is critical to our spiritual lives and what it means to be a follower of Christ who wants to live sent. And that's what Jesus has called us to. Over and over again in the scriptures, like when he sent us out, he sent us out ahead of him to go and share the good news. He sent us out to proclaim the good news of God. And in Mark uh, 3, he said he appointed 12 that they might be with him and sent out to preach the good news and to drive out de demons. We are called to live sent where we live, work, and play. We all have spheres of influence, circles of influence, people in our lives that the Lord has put in our lives so that we can make natural things spiritual and spiritual things natural. We want to be in relationship with people. We want to be ambassadors for Christ. We want to be dangerous for the Lord. And we want to live on mission with Him. We want to go out in community with one another. We want to understand that people desperately need Jesus and there's a harvest to be had. We want to pray earnestly because that's where the real, real, real work is done. And we need to understand that opposition will happen. And so we need to be on guard because the enemy does not want to see people come to know Jesus. My encouragement to us as a church is that we learn and have a passion and a heart to live sent. Let me pray for us as we continue to worship this morning. Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it guides and directs our lives. I thank you that we can come back to it regularly to see how you've called us to live. So this morning, Lord, I just pray for us as a church that we would live on mission with you, that we would follow what you did and have a heart for the lost because we know that's what you desire, Lord. I pray for courage and boldness and I pray that we would live out your scriptures this morning in your name. Amen.